Well, good morning. My name's Bruce. I'm very glad to get to be here today. I won't be here long. We have a grandbaby coming, and uh, we're going to go figure out what's going on with that. So I uh, spoke to Greg this morning. Greg plays the drums sometimes. I'm his dad. Uh, you know you have grown up in life when that's how you have to start introducing yourself, right? As I'm so-and-so's dad. <clears throat> I had an interesting conversation with your pastor about this sermon series. And I, I asked him, at first he, he asked me if I'd preach, and I, I said, well, certainly it'd be my, my privilege and my pleasure to do that. And, and, and so I asked, well, have you got some kind of a kind of a series or a topic or a theme or, or something that you would like me to, to fit in with? And his answer was, well, just Jesus. I thought, okay, that narrows it down a little bit. <laughs> I mean, kind of works as a concept. Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, let's see, just the scripture reading, we'd be finished about Wednesday, lunchtime, something like that. Uh, that's a little too big, Pastor. Have you, have, can, you, can you narrow that down for me a little bit? Well, no, 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 no. The series is just Jesus. Okay, well, that helps a, a, a little bit. Uh, so tell me a little more. Well, I'm going to be out for s some weeks, and I've got to, I've committed on these camps and some things like that. And, and uh, so I'm just, I'm just letting guys preach on just Jesus, and they'll come in, and these are some of my best guys that I know and love, and they'll all do a great job. And by the way, you'll be last. <laughs> Great, so I not only have to prepare a message, I have to prepare so that if one of these other guys takes it first, I've got something else. He laughed and said, well, you know, okay. <laughs> now, it's been uh, 12 or more, 15 years ago that I started working on a book that I never have finished uh, that was built around the idea of uh, what if it's real? Um, I, I confess that as a theologian, I'm more of a philosopher than a theologian, and I like to do philosophy. I tend to do systematic theology, and when the professors in the seminary kept forcing me to get down to smaller and smaller chunks of text, I always had some difficulties. And I always wrestled with the idea of truth. The scripture says Jesus is the truth, and so when you use truth with a capital T, when you find capital T truth, you always find Jesus associated with it. It doesn't matter if you find it in, in physics, it doesn't matter if it's in mathematics or biology or oceanology or, or any other kind of physical science, moral truth, geography, history, etc., etc. Truth that is capital T, permanent for all places and in all times, always connected with Jesus. And so I was working on this idea of, of things that, I started with the idea of what if, what if they're true? What if they're true? And I began to realize that we lived in a culture that really didn't recognize truth in the same way that I grew up thinking about truth. And, and as a result, you'll, you'll recognize this. Uh, we have today, we have fake facts fake facts how do you have you know i remember the first time somebody said to me well is that a true fact well that's a redundant way of saying the same thing twice you know a 
true fact. I mean, if it's true, it's true. If it's a fact, it's a fact. It's a true fact. There's no, you can't take true and turn it into an adjective. That didn't get me very far. I, I, I realized I was pushing water uphill trying to do things in that way. And so I, I began to try to find language and craft language that would, that would help with people who were struggling with what I would call the truth. And more and more I began to find that people who were either outside of the body of Christ or relatively new in the body of Christ or undiscipled in the body of Christ, they would talk in terms of reality. Is it real? where I would talk about truth. And so I worked on this series, Is It Real? And asked the question, what if it's real? About a number of things, one of them being, what if Jesus is the one and only Son of God? What if it's real? That's not politically correct. In fact, about the only thing you can't say in modern America is Jesus is the only way to salvation. You will be crushed under the weight of of. Twitter and Instagram, Pinterest and Facebook, if you make such an exclusive, narrow claim like that. So trying to make some of my professors happy, I thought maybe what I would do is go down to a smaller chunk of the text and try to give you that little bit this morning instead of that great, big, grand, broad approach that would take me until um, tomorrow morning and I want to get to the hospital to see the grandbaby, so it works well for both of us that way, right? Okay, so there are four great passages in the New Testament that deal with who Jesus is. When we say ology, that is the study of, and so Christology, the study of Christ, there are four great Christological passages. John chapter 1, the word is made flesh. In Philippians chapter 2, we have the suffering servant who is humbled, who becomes a a slave, a bondservant, and who will one day be exalted. In Colossians chapter 1 again, we have uh, in verse 15 through 18, we have Jesus as the image of the invisible God. So the invisible God is pressed into flesh, and, and when that happens, we have Jesus. And then our text for today is in Hebrews chapter 1. Four great texts. I'm going to focus on only, only one. Aren't you glad? So Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4 is what we'll read. I'll, I'll tell you some things that come out of, out of the rest of that chapter and even into the, the rest of the book, but, but just this part today. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, I've got the ESV if you've got your Bible app open. Or some of us old-timers, if we have a paper Bible, Hebrews chapter 1. In mine, it's on the right side of the page, not the left, so if that helps you any. So here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, but... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, there's a, there's a dramatic shift there. Whatever kind of grammar you have, the, the, the comma there is not uh, strong enough. A period would be better. This first phrase, this first sentence, if you will, is, is what we're going to focus on mostly today, right? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, period. 
That will help you get the sense of it. Now, let's, let's continue reading, though. What do we know about the Son? The Son has been appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, hearkening back to Colossians 1. And he upholds the universe with the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to angels, as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So focusing primarily on verse 1 and 2, what is he saying to us? Then God spoke this way, now God is speaking this way. He is talking about God's self-disclosure. Whenever we talk about God's revelation, we must ultimately, fully, finally talk about God's self-disclosure. God is God and he reveals himself to people. God is God and he shows himself to you. We don't stumble upon him. We don't go looking for him. God reveals himself over and over and over again. We have in the scripture this idea of God speaks and it startles people. What was that? What's going on here? You remember Moses? He goes to meet with God and God says, if you take a full look at me, you're in real trouble. You remember that? The Apostle John on the island of Patmos is having this vision and he sees the resurrected Christ. All of these men, all of these women throughout history, when they see God, it is a wondrous, astonishing kind of thing. It is God's divine self-revelation. So when we, when we talk about revelation as a, as a broad concept... It has to be God's self-disclosure. And here, what the scripture says is that God does that in two kinds of ways and there's timing to it. Do you see it? Long ago, this is where Star Wars got their inspiration. Long ago, how? At many times and in many ways, God has been speaking by the prophets so that's that's one way and then the word but but now he's doing it a different way what's he doing now he speaks through his son now I had our 40th high school reunion recently and the man that makes me feel old <clears throat> and at the reunion was my high school English teacher my senior English teacher. And I, I just thought, she's going to remember that I made D's and F's on everything. You know, I, nev I never learned English grammar. I, I learned more English grammar studying other languages than I ever learned in high school and college. But I did learn how to read and read what other people have to say. And it turns out, it turns out that, that in, this, in these two verses, you have the word spoke. God has spoken and then again, but now God speaks. So it's the same root word to speak. But in the first part, in verse 1, it's what's called a participle. That means it's dependent on another verb. Now, aren't you impressed that I know that? Right? Some of you English teachers out there, you're just going, oh, that's not too bad, right? So, so you have the first 
participle. And a better way to say it might be, God has been speaking. He, he has spoken. That gives, the, that gives that sense of past tense. It's happened in the past. That's correct. But, it, but there's also this idea of bits and pieces. A little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. You get parts of the larger picture. And it happens along the way because God is disclosing ideas about himself. He is speaking and he's doing it in kind of an introductory way. He's showing parts of himself. A little bit at a time. Many times and in many ways he has spoken. It is fractional and fragmentary. Moses in the burning bush, take your shoes off. This is holy ground and Moses can't even, can't even look at him fully. God speaks to the prophets and they, and they share the voice of God. Thus saith the Lord. But they don't get the whole picture. God is speaking to us. He is talking to us. He is revealing himself to us. But in a limited way and in a periodic way. You see that? Many places, many times, many ways. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit over here. Now that's how it was. So why is this one of those four great Christological passages? We'll look at verse 2. But in these last days, we might say, but now. That's what he did then. But now, God has spoken. And it uses that New Testament language form that is full and final in its meaning. This is the fullness. This is the finality of it. Fully and finally, he speaks the final word of God and he speaks it into Jesus. What an incredible thought. The word is made flesh. The invisible is pressed into visibility. It's going to go on in verse 3 and 4 to say he is the radiance of the glory of God. Remember in the Old Testament when you read about the Shekinah of God? The Shekinah is around the temple and, and Moses, you know, he's trying to, to only be a little bit prideful when he wears the veil over his face because he's been in the presence of God. That is the Shekinah of God, the glory of God, and Jesus is all of that. Not just a little bit here, not just a little bit there, all of it. Now think about this just for a minute. God didn't have to speak, did he? God didn't, God didn't have to reach out to us. He was not bound in any way to speak to us. But he discloses himself through Jesus. First through the prophets, bit by bit. Then through Jesus, fully and finally. But he doesn't give us ideas about himself. He doesn't give us theories about himself. He doesn't uh, give us a kind of a theology of himself. He gives us his son. You want to know the doctrine of Jesus? You want to know the, the doctrine of biblical Christology? It is that God has spoken through the Son in these last days. Fully, finally, we have the entire revelation of God. And it comes through Jesus. God reveals himself. 
Think where we'd be without God's voice, without revelation. Every time you had a problem, you could cry out to the heavens above that would be absolutely empty. There would be no comfort, no peace, no answer to prayers, no encouragement, no spirit, no comforter, no word of God. When our parents sinned in the garden, God could have said, okay, that's it. I'll see you at the last day when it's time for judgment. He could have walked away, but he didn't. He begins to reveal bit by bit this message that he has a plan to redeem us. Not because of us, but in spite of us. In spite of our own sin, in spite of our disobedience, in spite of our own transgressions. Spurgeon said, God could have forsaken our rebellious race. He could have said to us, I'll have no communication with you until that day when, fi when with fire and sword I punish you for your many transgressions. But God speaks. You can go all the way back to the beginning. You're, you're starting to, in the reading in Genesis, you can go all the way back to Genesis 1, and what do you find? You find the Spirit of God hovering over the darkness, and out of that darkness, the voice of Jesus cries out, Let there be light, and it crushes the darkness. You find God speaking and acting and he flings the planets and stars and galaxies into the universe and he calls together out of the dust of the ground a man and a woman that he will have a relationship with, he will love, he will speak to. God doesn't just sit off on some kind of celestial throne far, far away in a land and a time and a galaxy that we know nothing about. No, he speaks and he speaks his final word to you in Jesus. That means he speaks now. He speaks today. All of this message finds fulfillment in Christ. Now, verse 3 and 4 has, got a, it has a lot of rich material. Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the creator of the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And I'd love to explore those things with you. But I'm going to the hospital here in just a minute. And so I'm going to trust you to just read through those things later this week. And... Think about, meditate upon the fact that Jesus is the one and only true final revelation of the divine God. That God speaks and the words come out of his mouth and form Jesus. He is our divine Savior. Now, I'm going to the hospital today and it's going to be a happy, fun, exciting time for everybody except Alex. <clears throat> for her, not so much. But I met with some pastors on Friday. I was, I was hoping maybe to come down Thursday night and I ended up waiting so I could meet with them on Friday morning. There's a neighborhood in Lake Charles where I serve where there have been three shootings in the last two weeks. Three murders. And these pastors came and we were talking about what we could do. 
And we agreed that, you know, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. But we also agreed that we must pray. Because these things are bigger than, than we are. We remembered the words of Jesus when he said, I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. You will not face the crises and the chaos of life alone. You know, sometimes the doctor's office, the news is not so good. It's gut-wrenching and stomach-turning. When the doctor says, I have bad news and the diagnosis is grim. Perhaps you've sat with a family where there, there's surgery going on and the doctor comes out and says, I'm so sorry. They didn't make it. We couldn't revive them. Maybe you've been in a, with a family where their where the home that's usually such a, a place of light and joy is turned almost into a dungeon as they discover that one of their children has overdosed or been arrested. Or you get the letter or the phone call or the text where the attorney says the divorce is done. And it feels like the whole world could crash in upon you and the ground might as well just open up under you. You see, when Jesus speaks, when God speaks, when he gives that final word, it is not final in the sense that it ends. It is final in the sense that we don't need any more. That it is eternally sufficient. It is constantly enough. So that in times of joy and in times of sorrow, he's enough. That in times of great prosperity or great despair, Jesus is enough. That in times of good and in times of bad, just Jesus is enough. Well, <clears throat> I really want to share this last part with you. You must know it's important, right? Because we've got a grand, number three grandbaby on the way, and I'm going to stay here and keep talking about this to you. So it'll give you a sense of how important it is, all right? Jesus, the Father, the Spirit has spoken. They were speaking in many ways and in many times, in bits and pieces. And then in Jesus, he has given that final word, that final uh, speech, that final revelation of himself. And he continues to speak through the power of the Spirit into your life, through the presence of the Word of God in your life, He continues to speak, to lead and guide, to comfort and encourage. But the Bible also says there's another word Jesus has yet to speak that He's not done yet. Now, Listen, you get very many Christians together and you start talking about the second coming. And, uh, you, you know, Christians are, are kind of like Baptists when you talk about the second coming. You get two together and you get three opinions. Right? 
But here's what we can hang on to. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the scripture says that at the last day, the, the Thessalonians are confused. They've got a question. They, they've been doing like all of those cities where Paul has planted churches. They've asked questions. What's going on? What about this? What about that? And Paul says, well, look, at the last day, uh, you don't have to worry about the dead people. They'll be able to hear Jesus. And you remember what he says? The Lord himself will descend with a shout. And then there'll be the voice of the archangel, might be music, and then there'll be a trumpet blast. In other words, it's going to be loud on the day Jesus comes back. See, I never have to worry about it being too loud in church. You know, sometimes we, we get in church and think the music's too loud. I don't have to worry about that. I'm blind on one side, deaf on the other. I just can't hear it. So think about what this is. This is the voice of God that ex nihilo, out of nothing, he creates the universe. Let there be light. This is the same voice of God that stands at the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. This is the same voice that cries from the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. At the last day, the scripture says, he will shout and call his children to himself and they will pop up out of the graves and meet him in the air. There is a final word, there is a last word that he has yet to speak. And it'll be Jesus himself. Not a proxy, not an envoy, not a representative. Jesus is coming. He's not sending a substitute. He doesn't have somebody else because this is not quite very important. He's coming himself, the scripture says. And the angels will be singing and the trumpets will be blasting and the armies of the Lord will be with him. And the scripture says he will return for his bride. Now, weddings are fun things. They really are. But we don't do them nearly, we're not, ours are not nearly as fun as they used to be. Right? I, I mean, they would, the whole town would have a party for a week. And the groom would come in and there would be this, this enormous entourage would come in for the party and, and to come and get his bride. The scripture says when Jesus comes, he's bringing all of heaven with him. Because this is the day that he's been waiting for. We don't have time to go into it, but there is this idea that Jesus has ascended back into heaven and the Son is seated at the right hand of the Father and he, he's almost like, can I go now? Can I go yet? Is it time yet? Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Jesus is, if God can be anxious, Jesus is anxious to come and get his bride. He's coming, he, he's coming back and he's going to shout when the day comes. This is the voice of God. So let me close with this from Psalm 24. The scripture says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And who is the king of glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And who is the king of glory? He is the Lord. He is the Lord Jesus. He is our savior. He is our king. 
and he's coming for you and his bride. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, with, with great joy and great humility, we hear the words of Jesus. We hear the words of Scripture. And it reminds us that we should take great comfort, great encouragement in your disclosure, in your revelation. That we should be confident in the biblical affirmation that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. And we need not shrink back. We need not become fearful. But Lord lovingly and confidently we can say just Jesus and that he is always enough and Lord there are some today who are in dark places and they need that light of Christ there are others with great decisions to be to be made and they need that wisdom of God we pray you do it through Jesus our Savior Amen.